This episode is sponsored by EY and Brave. Money is changing, both in form and function. Money Reimagined is about the changing nature of money, digital currencies, and various topics related to finance, blockchain technology, artificial intelligence, and more. Michael Casey and Sheila Warren walk us through the dynamic and evolving nature of the global economy and the implications for businesses, governments, and individuals as they must adapt to new payment methods and technologies. Welcome to Money Reimagined. Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Sheila Warren. It's been a busy week on Capitol Hill uh, with hearings involving stablecoins and also the first time in 18 months that Gary Gensler appeared before the House Financial Services Committee. Here's a clip. Is Ether a commodity or a security? Without speaking to anyone. I know you've okay. repeatedly said you're not going to speak to facts. one, except you've spoken to one, Bitcoin. So I'm asking you to speak to a second one, the lar- second largest market cap here. And speaking to the tokens, there's 10 to 12,000. If there's a group of entrepreneurs in I'm the asking about the one. public is anticipating a profit based on the- I'm asking a specific question, Chair Gensler. I said this in private. This should be no shock to you. I'm asking this question. Is, it an, is Ether a commodity or a security? And again, it depends on the facts and the law, and if there's a group of individuals- I'm asking about the, the facts middle. and the law sitting in your seat and the judgment you are making. And so, uh, uh, Mr. Chair, I think you, you would not want me to prejudge because I'm also- But you have chair. prejudged on this. Wow. <laughs> well, that was an exchange between Chair Patrick McHenry, who is the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee and and Chair Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC. Uh, Michael, what do you think? Well, first of all, Sheila, I'm sorry to hear, but your, your croaky voice, that's just like, you know, I, you're not feeling yeah, the best. So thank you thing. so much for doing this in, <laughs> under the weather. Look, I mean, the thing that I, let me just say this, clearly it does feel to me, I listened to that, that thing went on for quite a bit longer than that clip. And, and I did feel like McHenry really did own Gensler. Like it truly was... He owned him. Like there was just like it was quite painful listening to the chairman of the SEC keep coming back to, you know, a question of law and like he's keep sort of almost literally calling out the Howie case and the structure of it and not answering specifically the question. And it felt like it was a gotcha moment of quite significant proportions. But what I also like found interesting was the way that McHenry said to him. I've spoken to you about this in private, Chair Gensler. This should be of no surprise to you. But like airing out that other aspect of the interaction between a congressman and a regulator and then sort of bringing that conversation out of the public into that testimony, it felt like he got caught, right? I mean, I don't know. What, 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 was, what was your take? Well, here's what's interesting about this. So, so as we're recording this, the stablecoin hearing is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not going to comment on that today. But this hearing has the, the Gensler hearing did complete. So I think it was, what, six hours long, almost it clocked in at and uh, roaming around the hill, as I've been doing uh, this week. It's interesting what the reactions are, because this is clearly an extremely partisan issue. Now, you did have some folks who broke sides. You did have a couple of Democrats, uh, Gottheimer, Torres, you know, who really um, asked, I think, quite thoughtful and pointed questions about the nature of engagement between the agency and digital assets industry. But there's a lot of partisanship showing up here with 
the Democrats largely uh, defending the actions of the SEC or asking questions. The other big topic, of course, at this hearing was climate disclosures, which are a whole other political minefield that's been brewing and raging, you know, over time in Washington. And when you talk to some of these, some of the Democrats who were not part of the hearing, others, right, who are highly influential folks, uh, a lot of them will say, the Republicans will agree with your assessment that, okay, this was like, we owned Gary Gensler and we, we revealed his lack of strategic engagement and meaningful engagement. Uh, the Democrats ask questions like, well, he's not going to go on the record and comment on anything because he doesn't want to. Uh, there's pending litigation, referring, of course, to the Ripple case and other cases. He doesn't want to go on the record to say anything. You know, it's really interesting how possible it is to view that interaction in different ways. And it, a lot of it depends on your political bent and what you view as the role of the agency, you know, et cetera, and, and what the agency's responsibilities are. Now, what I think is really interesting is that what we're witnessing here is not so much about crypto and climate disclosures, again, the two major topics here in this particular hearing. It's really about the role of the administrative state. And of course, yes. views on the role of government are quite partisan with Democrats favoring agency oversight as a general matter, thinking the role of government, speaking very broadly here, the role of government is to prevent abuse and to hold bad actors accountable. Uh, and a lot of Republicans believing in smaller government, that, the, that private industry and the market should bring correction to some of these systems. And it's not the role of government to do this. So a lot of this and what we witnessed is caught up in that broader discussion that is coming to a head a little bit around the SEC. But we're also seeing this play out at the Supreme Court level with, uh, you know, Western versus EPA, the major questions doctrine, this question of what does an administrative agency have the right to rule on or engage on or make rules around? And what should they not have the right to make rules around? And what is the role of Congress? What is the role of administrative agency an executive branch agency? And what is the role of the courts? And what's fascinating about this time in American history and jurisprudence is we are watching a lot of what the historic checks and balances have been in our governmental system in these three different bodies be completely reshaped in ways that I'm not personally convinced are better, but are certainly different. Oh, wow. Lots, lots to unpack there, Sheila. Like, one is like the fact that you, you sort of highlighted that it seemed to fall down party lines here, which seems to me to emphasize the fact that yes, crypto is getting politicized. That this is now a more you know partisan, divisive issue, which I think is a real tragedy. Like I don't even feel like the tech necessarily should be perceived of as being pro any party's platform in particular. It always seemed to me one that has attracted a community of, of sort of broad-minded, completely different, ideologically opposed sometimes players, and that now it sort of gets roped into the ugly divisiveness of American politics is a real problem. But this broader question about the role of regulators and, the, and how much oversight and reach an agency like the SEC should have, I think really, really comes to a head in the context of AI. So like, in some respects, as much as this is a show all about crypto and this is what we focus on, it's something of a proxy issue for what is going to be, in my mind, the biggest of battles is how and who and what regulates you know, artificial intelligence in the future. Yeah, well, a couple of comments on that. So, so number one, I think you and I both agree, and we had said about this recently, you know, that a blockchain-backed underlying governance system is one of the best technical hedges. I, I don't know if against AI is the right word, but, you know, it's one of the things that can really help us in having an open, decentralized, permissionless network that underlies sort of AI systems. There's a, there's a synergy there that's really important, and we've talked about this on the show again, so just kind of checking that episode. 
but also I don't know that I would fully agree that crypto has become partisan. It, it, I, to the extent that it has, I agree with you that it's it's a bit of a proxy because what is has always been very partisan again is is this role of executive agencies, and what you have in Chair Gensler's SEC is a very activist, if you will, you know, SEC in a certain way, right? Like Chair Gensler is basically saying, "I'm going to regulate this regulation by enforcement concept. I'm going to go after actors after the fact." And what I think is fascinating is, is no one asked him, one thing nobody asked him was, well, if you have all the rules you need and you have the authority you need and you have everything you need, which is what he asserted during the hearing multiple times in response to questions, then why didn't you stop some of the tragedies that happened last year? Like, where were you? Right? You can't right. really have it both ways. Either you have the oversight and you didn't exercise it correctly or you don't and huh. you couldn't. Right? It, it, it's interesting that at the same time, there's an agency that's saying... And through the voice of the chair, again, doesn't speak uh-huh. to the entire agency, right? We have others, other commissioners who think very differently from Gary Gunn. So regardless, we have the chair of the agency basically saying, I've got what I need. Let me go after these bad guys. But there's no, there's no plan that I've ever heard or seen about what happens before that. Because the, the reality is when you engage in regulation by enforcement after the fact, the harm has already happened. People have already been hurt, Right. Mm-hmm. And yep. isn't the idea that you want to stop that from happening, that that's what's actually yeah. productive and constructive. And so what's fascinating to me is it's become, it's become this very partisan showdown about what's the power the agencies have, but no one's actually honing in on the point, I think, which is that whether or not they have the power or the authority or any of that, they didn't do anything to stop this. Now, I'll go yeah. back to a point I've been making all over the hill this week as well, which is, look, this is the second time in the crypto industry that we've seen actors that were unscrupulous, put it that way, in some cases, potentially criminal, that were engaging in activities that hurt real people. And the first go around of this was the absolute nonsense around ICOs, right? Mm -hmm. If we'd had ChatGPT, you know, as well as I, there are folks who would have had ChatGPT write a white paper and raise a token Mm -hmm. round around it, right? I mean, like, who are we kidding? Some of these things, as you you and I well know, you read some of these white papers, you're like, what is this jumble of words that make no sense? You know, whatever. But people invested in those things and no one did anything about it. Mm. Those things died on the vine, but it wasn't as if we had a regular United States come in and say, that can't happen again. And so some of this is, is one could say, the next incarnation, the market crashed. Everyone's like, oh, that industry is not going to, it doesn't matter anyway. And then here came the bull market. And yet again, you had a different version. And I would argue a more devious and sociopathic version of the same problem. We're in a bear market again. The bull market's going to happen again. So is there going to be a third round of this kind of, you know, criminal and, and horrible activity that happens? And who's going to do something about it? So I, yeah. I look at this and I say, what is the role of a government agency? What is the role of a regulator? And should it not be to prevent harms and to prevent real people from getting harmed That's, by some of this, right? Yeah, you, you, could, you could really take the, the uh, yeah, the, the progressive um, pro-regulator stance on this in that way, right? You come at it not from the perspective of the classic industry take, which I presume you also support since you represent it. That is, hey, give us the space and the, the framework within which to innovate. But literally, how do we stop people from being hurt? Like, how do you actually carry out your function? And there is, it seems to me, real duplicitousness here in that, you know, I've got all the tools, I have all the framework, the law is very clear. And then, all right, two things. One, you didn't, weren't able, as you just put it very eloquently, able to act on with those, with those powers to prevent this. But the other thing is like, why are you having this obscure conversation 
with McHenry about Ethereum. Like, if it's absolutely clear, why isn't there an answer? And it's, yeah. it's, always, it's always seemed to me that this is why it, the, the argument is made that this regulation by enforcement is about a power play, is because the ambiguity serves that. And so, like, never resolving these questions and holding a kind of a Damocles sword kind of threat over, over people's heads is a way to empower the agency in a very kind of almost, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it's almost Stalinistic, right? It's not, you know, that there's this, yeah. there's this thing that you have to worry about. It's ambiguous. It's obscure. It's not clear. And that's what empowers the agency, this executive kind of Leviathan, if you like, to do what it can do. <laughs> And so well, it's the shadow I, of the threat. It's the shadow of the threat. Yeah. Right? You don't even know how big that is. That shadow disproportionately large. Is it accurate? Is it, you know, you don't even know. And so, uh, so two things. So one, I believe this industry is desperately in need of regulation. So just to clarify that. And I think most people who are the responsible actors at this point agree with that because there's no really no other way to differentiate the good actors from the bad actors. And the good actors, and I'm using these terms you know, loosely, but the good actors, responsible actors have tried, and I think this is demonstrated by what Coinbase has made public in recent months or weeks, I guess. I can't, I don't know, time has no meaning. Recent weeks, I suppose, you know, that they, how many times they tried to go in and, and solicit input from uh, the SEC. And really what the SEC, again, Chair Gensler, I should be specific, has been coming back with is this idea that you have to do things the way they've always been done or you're non-compliant. And the fact that you have this innovation that means that they're, it's, it's challenging, if not impossible, to do things the way they've always been done is not our problem, and we don't care. That's basically the response that's been given. And so there's no accommodation of this innovation. So it's everything is simple from, you could do disclosures on chain. That's really interesting. It gives the regulator you know, access to information they wouldn't otherwise have. It's very interesting. And part of the revolution in blockchain technology is the way it makes certain things transparent. No accommodation for that in the rules. Like there's things, those are like basic tactical, you know, uh, procedural kinds of things, but all the way up to what does it mean if you have a decentralized system and you don't have anyone creating, you know, uh, no central order book? Like none of these things have been contemplated. And, and the answer consistently, or the answer has been either silence or it's been there's a way to do things, do it that way, or you're, you're out of compliance. And so that's a really dis disheartening and discouraging kind of model around that. The other thing I think is basically no one knows how big the threat vector is here, right? And so I think you're right. There is this sort of Damocles hanging over folks where they don't really understand, like, how big is the stick that's going to come after me you know, to kind of yeah. mash up all of our different metaphors. And so that is a different kind of challenge. It's a, it's a very different kind of challenge. But all of that fundamentally, again, you know, as I said earlier, I think it misses the fundamental point, which is that real people are getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And the actors who are hurting them the most, I would mm -hmm. argue, are not the ones that this agency is going after. And that was in response, I can't remember who asked this question, an excellent question, which I think it was Torres, Rep. Torres, actually, who said, why aren't you going after uh, you know, some of the folks who are offshore but still U.S. partners are using that are you know, uh, considered by many to be engaging in challenging practices? And I think we can go back and talk about the CFTC action against Binance. It's quite telling that the CFTC filed an action against Binance and revealed through the course of those shocking text messages some of the activities that allegedly folks over there were engaging in trying to get around, explicitly get around U.S. rules when there's no evidence of any of that, nor is there any speculation of any that actually happened with some of the actors that, that the SEC has actually gone after. So it's a really interesting time and approach. And I think the chair's response, of course, was it's a lot harder to regulate 
groups that are offshore. So there's always a, a follow-up question that doesn't always get asked, which is, well, if it's, if it's harder to regulate folks offshore, then why would you want to push more folks offshore, which is what's happening? So any way you look at it, the fact is real people are getting harmed, and that does not seem to be the focus of anyone's attention. And I mm. find that really upsetting, but also surprising. Are you looking to fast track your enterprise growth? With tools and solutions from EY, you could run your essential business applications, including private transactions and zero knowledge applications on public Ethereum. From supply chain to procurement to sustainability, EY blockchain's APIs and zero knowledge tools make public Ethereum accessible to all enterprise users. Find out why some of the world's leading companies are building on Ethereum with EY. Visit us at blockchain.ey.com. With Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto across 100 chains, including Ethereum, L2s, Solana, and more. Buy, send, hold, and swap crypto and NFTs, all right in your browser. No extensions required. Download the Brave browser today to get started at brave.com forward slash wallet. Well, it almost goes back to a little bit of what you we said it a, a few weeks back in a separate conversation. You'd, you'd been at some hearings, I think, in California, and there'd be this like all of a sudden just recognizing the pain that people had felt, and and that's and that's that right. being the fault of both you know the regulators and and the uh, the industry not not recognizing that. And this is where the industry, I don't think, does itself a, a, a service because the at least that the common refrain you hear about why there is a need for regulation is because let us innovate with with guidelines. We need clarity to innovate, right? Yeah, like, that's right. If you were to come, and this is for, for a political purpose, if you were to come like, hey, regulate us so that people don't get hurt, right? That we want this. We want to be able to have trust in our industry. Yeah. And, and we need to be framed. We, give, give us these constraints so that bad actors don't undermine the good work we want to do because we want to protect human beings. You know, that message would be a far more effective one. I think it gets too captured by this like, innovation, innovation thing, which of course is relevant. Like we, we know this. And I think that the discussion this week as well about the SEC extending the comment period and like, 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 you know, this new framework for what may well be, yeah, you know, this DeFi decentralized exchange position that, you know, Hester Peirce came back with. I think she's sent some, you know, the one commissioner who's, you know, the pro-crypto kind of dissenter all the time. She's sent some very harsh words in the past, but this was a doozy, this statement that she produced this week, you know, you know, essentially accusing the SEC of um, undermining, you know, first First Amendment yeah. principles, and by sort of really, you know, regulating code. And so there is a lot of important discussion around allowing open source, permissionless innovation to happen in a constructive way. I, want, I don't want to get away from that, but you really, I mean, from a political perspective, from the ability to just win over whatever, you know, middling. Democrats, you might want to come across the aisle and be supportive here. I think we really, it really needs to be what you're saying here. This is like people are getting hurt. Yeah. You know, I mean, and put I some, think that's, put some guardrails around that. You know, but but again, right. make it clear, legislate it. Don't, you know, don't let, don't, don't let this guy, the chairman of the SEC, protect people because obviously he can't. You know, one would hope that if he were able to, he would. You he know would. what I mean? Like one would hope. Right. One would hope. Why but didn't again, he? Why couldn't he? Again, let's let's hey, what is zoom it? out again. Let's let's zoom out again, right? So, what is this really about? Because again, crypto is a proxy. It's a proxy battle. 
for a variety of things. So it's a proxy battle in the partisan war around how much power should executive agencies have? Definitely a proxy. So is the climate thing equally. And I think crypto folks focus only on crypto, but pay attention to how much airtime in that hearing was about ESG and climate disclosures. Okay, more, I think, I didn't do the measurements, but I think it was more than crypto stuff. And so that is, again, you had so many people asking, Republicans particularly asking Gary Gensler, do you have climate scientists on your staff? And are you a scientist? All this stuff, right? So it's about what is the breadth of the authority that the SEC has as a general matter. And that, again, crypto is a proxy in that. We should be very clear on that, right? In some ways, it isn't even about crypto, although that's easy to say, and clearly it affects us, but it's not about crypto per se. The other thing is the interagency territorial war we have here between the SEC and the CFTC. And for that, you've got to recognize everybody on the House Financial Services Committee, they have oversight of the SEC. They do not have oversight of the CFTC. The bigger the SEC's remit, the more power they have. Let's be, I don't need to be, this is not like as crass as it sounds, but this is also real, right? How ironic. The Agriculture right? Committee, the Ag Committee, has jurisdiction and oversight of the CFTC. The bigger the CFTC's yeah. remit, the more power the Ag Committee has. All of this, and this is all stuff I've learned. But how, but that's, that's so contradictory. Like, sorry, just to like, just to point out what may be obvious: the oversight of that committee is to restrain the powers of those. That, I would argue, right? That is, in some way, not necessarily to limit the powers per se, but that like put some constraints on it. That is one of the most important functions of these kind of legislative bodies, that there is an incentive for them to allow that to be bigger for their own empowerment strikes me as a sort of sort of it's just so it's it's wild. Okay. It's wild. Now that I've done this for a year, because this is not stuff I think anybody thinks about, right? There's always, as you and I know, we talk about part of our the whole point of our show is what is the context in which all these conversations are happening? What is the context? And that is a critical part of the context to understand. So you have to go back to what are the core tenets of the Republican and Democratic parties and boil down to the point of being almost ridiculous. They are less government and more government, right? Government is the backstop, the protector, or government should stay out of things and the markets and industry and others, you know, are going to deal with that. So the, the fundamental theory is markets will kick out bad actors, et cetera, or versus, you know, uh, bad actors will grow unchecked unless they are constrained by government. Again, I'm being very, very high level. Uh, but again, what you see in this situation, going back to the fundamental of the point I'm going to keep hammering on, is that people got hurt. And so if the government did have the authority to protect people and engage in what is a very clear mandate, investor protection of that agency, it didn't happen or it happened so far after the fact. And again, I have to go back to it's not as if there was not a canary in the coal mine early kind of warning sign with ICOs back in 2017. Right. Mm-hmm. You had another woman ask, another representative ask, and I forget something about, I can't remember what the exact context was, but it's, it's you know, some sort of oversight was supposed to happen. It's been 12 years and nothing has happened. Huh. And Gary Gensler responded something like, you're right to be frustrated. It's complicated. I don't yeah. remember. It was something that came out of Dodd-Frank. I'm, it's blank, I'm blanking on it right now, but something came out of Dodd-Frank and there was supposed to be this thing that happened and it has not happened. It's been 12 years. Wow. And right. So this is about crypto, but it's also not about crypto. And crypto is a little bit of a conveniently timed, you know, for the purposes of the, of the proxy argument thing in this crisis war, you know, over 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 engagement by the government that's happening here. So, like I say, that, that doesn't make it any prettier, or easier or anything for folks in the crypto industry, especially those who are legitimately trying to do the right thing. But I also think the crypto industry didn't do itself any favors. And I've had, you know, I've had all kinds of people in Washington tell me 
it's been frustrating watching how over many, many years, the industry would always close circles and circle the wagons around its own. Even those who were engaging in what seemed suspicious, if not overtly shady activities. And there was really not a lot of willingness on the part of industry actors to call out other industry actors who maybe were not putting as many efforts into being compliant or being responsible or whatever. And I think that ship has completely sailed. I think we have to acknowledge, you heard me say this all the time, there are good actors in crypto, there are bad actors in crypto. Facts. Mm -hmm. Those are facts. And the goal of regulation needs to be differentiation of the good and bad actors. If that is not the fundamental goal, I'm not sure what we're doing here. You know what I mean? Because the entire focus should be get the criminals, get the sociopaths, get them out of here, make it extremely challenging, if not impossible, for them to exploit people, for them to engage in fraud, etc. And then let the good actors, to the point you made earlier, let them have room to innovate and experiment but within right. the parameters of the activities that have been demonstrated to be exploited by you know, the folks who don't have those scruples. Yeah. I think it, was, it actually relates a little bit to the conversation I was having when I was in B- Bermuda last week, where in Bermuda's got this relative to, let's say, some other jurisdictions, quite strict licensing requirements. And it's, it's all independently managed by the, the Bermuda Monetary Authority. And when you know, I was there and you, you were there remotely last year in October, yeah. You were hearing these complaints. And by the way, this was just literally one week before the collapse of FTX. And you yeah. were hearing these complaints that it was too strict. Not enough banking license, digital asset banking licenses being handed out. And like, well, you know, there's all this talk in Bermuda about these digital asset, you know, renaissance, but like, where are the licenses? Why is it taking so long? Why are you so strict? You know, and yeah. interestingly, post FTX, the conversation was, you know what? You know, saying no is actually part of the appeal of this regime. And by the way, if you are a good actor, you should be pleased about that because here's a chance for you to go and say, hey, you can trust us because this strict regulator has given us the the approval. Like we've been green-lighted, we've risen to this level of standard, and now we're getting green-lighted. And that's the way the industry should be thinking, you know? Oh, yeah. wow. Let, regulate us so that we can be trusted and that, and that we can get users to come in and, and not feel as if they're being FTXed. And there is, and there are people having that conversation in Bermuda now and saying, yes, please, you know, I want to be licensed by you, not by them. That's going to be beneficial to me. So there is hopefully a, a sort of a shifting of sentiment, but I think it really needs to be, yeah, rallying around your own and, you know, one for all, all for one kind of mindset. And everybody in crypto needs to be protected by some sort of, you know, stance on this is, is really obviously really harmful. The challenge, of course, now is that all of this, you're going to see an overcorrection because you know there's a zealousness about regulation that that we didn't have before Sam and and I I can't overstate I mean just the it's so disheartening I, it, damage is not doesn't even do the word justice I mean just the massive erosion of trust that happened after the revelations about about FTX.com is just it's impossible to overstate you know what that's done and what's interesting of course is that. The rest of the world, no one is talking about that. No one's talking about Sam. No one's talking about FTX. No one cares. In fact, in Japan, everyone was made whole at FTX Japan because there were rules in place. Yeah, and yeah. so everybody was made whole very quickly. And it was just, everyone just kind of moved on, right? Like, there's like, mm-hmm. you talk to the Japanese, they're like super bullish on crypto. They want to engage on this stuff. They're like, what? I mean, they're not yeah. they're like, whatever about it, but they're like, okay, mm-hmm. look, it worked. It worked, right? We had rules and they couldn't do well, it. And I'm, here we go. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so th- there is definitely, joint responsibility here. And the idea that this is somehow the sole fault of industry, I think is patently ridiculous. 
Um, there was a role for regulators here. It did not get played, I think, effectively, given the mandate of the regulators. And we're still not seeing, we're still not seeing, even now, we're still not seeing rules in place that truly would protect investors and users before the fact, right? Not after the fact and in this regulation by enforcement scheme. So all of this, I just find bizarre. I find it uh, disappointing. I find it challenging. But the context is, I mean, let me tell you what a learning experience, you know, and it's it's just been a, yeah, it's not going to get, I think, smoother for quite some time. But I think we are seeing on the part of many a genuine wrestling. And let me just say to address something I think you said earlier, or just to repeat rather, I don't think that crypto is necessarily as partisan as it seems. Like if you looked at that hearing, I think people are like, oh my God, the Democrats hate us, Republicans love us, you know, us being the industry. But A, that's not true. There are definitely some Democrats who uh, went out and asked some pretty tough questions of Gary Gensler and definitely created some accountability for sure. And we should notice that. And again, don't forget, you know, this committee is a largely Republican committee because it's chaired by a Republican Republican majority. There are an awful lot of folks who do not sit on this committee whose views are very open or who don't, you know, who are, who are neutral on this or to some cases positive. So you can't over-index on what you see on TV. And the thing to know about all these hearings is they are to some extent performative, okay? So people take an exaggerated posture on things. They ask questions in certain ways. They interrupt each other. You know, a lot of this is for, is for talking points. And it's a bit of political theater. And so not to say that important information does not get solicited or asked. And part of engaging on hearings by these Congress people is really important. But, you know, let's calibrate, you know, what this is. And to the point that you raised, you know, these folks are having conversations all the time with the agencies, with each other, with the White House, you know, all the time. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And that's their job is to legislate, right? So one moment in time or, or six hours in time or whatever it was, you know, of an of a elephantine gargantuan, gargantuan hearing. Uh, is not indicative of of the broader posture of a lot of the parties, but also even a lot of these offices. So I just think it's something important to calibrate for folks that aren't familiar with this stuff. It is always good to make sure that this isn't reduced to these simplistic black and white things, right? And that's the whole problem with things being either actually partisan or perceived and represented as being partisan when they may not be, is that we like the nuance always gets lost and that's part of the problem. So look, I think we need to wrap it up. That was yeah. It's, it's always feel of despite being under the weather, a lively uh, and and. Oh my god! I have to kick this cold. I have to kick this way of looking at it. <laughs> you have to kick the cold because to, I have to. In a few days' time, you're heading to Austin to join us. That is true. Where you and I will be recording this and doing all sorts of other things on the stage at the most important gathering of the industry <laughs> for the year. Yay. Really looking forward to doing that and. No doubt these these issues are going to be, you know, a very, very important uh, part of the conversation there. So for all you uh, listeners, if you haven't yet bought a ticket to Consensus and you now uh, suddenly kick yourself for not doing so, there is still time, but time is, is running out. We do hope to see many of you there. It's going to be a big deal. Sheila Warren, thanks for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you in Austin. And uh, that's it for now. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. The show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is Aida by Neon Beach. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.